kneel before Zod. You can't go. All the plants are gonna die. I'm gonna take a bath. Bad dates. I'll alert the media. Boys, keep off the moors. It's evil. Don't touch it. The name's Pliskin. No more hangers. Welcome to Vintage Video, where we're rewatching the 80s so you don't have to. We'll be reviewing every major film release of the 1980s in chronological order, overanalyzing what you've seen and spoiling what you haven't. I'm Patrick O'Reilly. I'm Jesse Bayless. And I'm Richard Wells. And today we're discussing Full Moon High, released October 9th, 1981. It was written and directed by Larry Cohen and released by Filmway Studios. The film's working title was A Transylvanian Werewolf in America, as a parody on an American werewolf in London, despite Transylvania playing no part in the film and being more of a popular shorthand for vampirism than lycanthropy. The film's werewolf effects were provided by Rick Baker protege Steve Neal, who had worked with Baker on an American werewolf in London earlier the same year. I can do that. Yeah. <laughs> Pretty much the same. At the end of the film, it's dedicated to Fenton Hamilton, a regular cinematographer of Larry Cohen's films, who had recently passed away. I tried to find more information, but when you Google Fenton Hamilton, I just found a bunch of fan art of Fenton Crackshell in Alexander Hamilton costumes. Uh, because Lin-Manuel Miranda plays Fenton Crackshell on DuckTales. Right, exactly. The film starts and we hear a lot of growling over the opening title, and then we're in a high school football game where the growling continues for some reason, even though it doesn't feel organic to the football. Mm -hmm. The star quarterback, Tony, is played by a 25-year-old but 35-looking Adam Arkin, and a female student named Jane is played by 38-year-old Roz Kelly, and she clearly has the hots for him as the team carries him off the field. Yeah, I was really confused by, by this character yeah. because... There's parts where I thought it was his mom, and I was like, well, wait, what is happening? I obviously don't know how the rest of the movie is going to go. This is yeah. a first-time watch for me, surprisingly what? enough. <laughs> And I was just like, why is this older woman, like, she's significantly older woman. Like, looks like maybe a teacher, probably. I know, and I'm like, yeah. why is she chasing after this high school student? I did not understand that she yeah. was a high school student. <laughs> later we'll have teachers chasing after high school students. Right, yeah. And later this woman, played by the same actress, will be a full-grown adult. Tony's friend Jack Flynn tries flirting with Jane when he can see that Tony isn't interested. Tony's father in the stands is played by Ed McMahon. In the locker room after the game, we see another player on the team played by a young Bob Saget. The coach, played by Kenneth Mars, rushes in and starts slapping everybody's asses and rushing them into the showers. Here comes old Rabass again. Tony drops the soap in the shower and the coach stands naked beside him waiting for him to go for it, but he doesn't bother. Almost all used up anyway, sir. Outside the school, we learn this is a period piece by suddenly including 50s music and cars. Jane pulls up and honks her horn to get Tony's attention, but he crosses the road to his dad's car. You're going with your father? And this line, coupled with the actress's age, made me think that she was playing his mother and this was like a custody battle where they both showed up to pick up their son at the same time, but he chose the <laughs> father over the mother. But she's just a much older classmate. Flynn tries again to hit on Tony Stalker to no avail. She skids away in a hurry. And Flynn's reaction is convincing enough that I think this car might have actually hit his arm as she sped past him. At home, Tony's father tries to remind him who his mother was, but Tony keeps thinking of their former maid, who he also had sexual relations with. Tony's father also appears to work for the CIA. He's being sent to Romania to collect a microfilm, 
and he's going to bring along Tony as his cover. Father and son visiting Romania. Tourists, it's perfect. Is that perfect? It's as perfect as any other conceivable plan. You could be a guy visiting Romania as a tourist. (laughs) As his father describes their travel plans, we see a toy plane puppeted over what looks like a child's drawing of Europe, and suddenly a hand reaches in to smash the plane. The camera tilts down from a framed photo of Lenin to a prostitute redressing. Wider, we see there are actually two prostitutes in the room with Tony's father, as he tells them how great America is. Tony enters, and his father pretends to the girls that Tony is a friend, and he tells Tony that the girls are nurses. Tony heads downstairs to give his father privacy, and a Romanian woman in the lobby invites him to her table for a chat. She offers him a palm reading, but maybe the actress's voice was unintelligible, or the accent she did on set wasn't what they were looking for, because she's very badly ADR'd for her whole appearance here. It's honestly so bad that I considered it might be on purpose as a joke, but if it is, I don't know what the joke is. (laughs) Right. From the lines of his hand, the woman confirms with a waiter that Tony is destined to live forever somehow, which is kind of a spoiler. Uh, this this is like one of the like what of like two or three chuckles that I got. Yeah. Because she's looking at his palm and she goes, ah, shit. And then she shows it to the waiter, and the waiter goes, oh shit. Yeah. <laughs> you carry the curse of the pentagram. I've always wanted to go to the pentagon. Pentagram, stupid. She tells him the pentagram is the mark of the wolf, which we last heard in An American Werewolf in London. It's a pentangle, a five-pointed star. It's used for witchcraft. Lon Chaney Jr. and Universal Studios maintain that's the mark of the wolf man. Oh, I see. Ordinarily, I feel like this character wouldn't be getting this reading until they are attacked by a wolf already, but for some reason he's already destined to be attacked. Tony wanders outside in search of a museum of mental illness, but when he gets lost along the way, he is silently pursued by a werewolf or at least a bad werewolf costume. The score to the film is being provided by a live violinist standing several feet away from Tony. He pounds on a door begging someone to let him in as the music gets more frightening. The werewolf corners Tony, and he kind of sounds like Lewis Tully here as he backs away from the creature. Hey, is anybody here with this dog? I mean, don't dogs have masters here? Okay, who brought the dog? He tries to bargain with the werewolf only to pee on him, but gets mauled against the side of a barn as the violinist goes nuts. He crawls back to the hotel on all fours, and his shirt is torn in even strips. He doesn't even see any scratches on his skin, though. Tony's dad throws open the shower curtain and confesses that he has hidden the microfilm somewhere safe before tiptoeing away in pain as if he's using his prison wallet. (laughs) We look through an airplane window at a full moon outside. A flight attendant serves a passenger a live chicken on a dark plane. Tony starts walking toward the bathroom, and on the way, he notices his arms and hands are getting hairier. While he's at the back of the plane, hijackers take it over. They blindfold everyone, even the chicken. Except for him. Only Tony escapes blindfolding. And they're they're blindfolding an actual chicken here. Right, yeah. <laughs> no, worth pointing out. <laughs> well, I just think it's really funny that they were coming up to the chicken, because I'm like, how are they going to do it? Well, they wrap it around up the bottom the chin, of his yeah. chin, mm-hmm. and then over the top of his head. Yeah, it yeah. worked. <laughs> Tony puts his arm around a blindfolded woman in the back row, seemingly attempting to grope her because otherwise I don't understand this motion, but she mistakes it as a brave gesture. I don't know if I understand the next joke at all. Tony's dad is disgusted to hear a dog on the plane and says this is why he prefers to fly on American planes. They don't allow dogs on the planes. Or chickens. Oh, God. Can you imagine flying with a chicken? As a chicken is thrown over his head? Yeah. But it's like, is this a thing about American planes that they don't allow dogs or chickens? 
what is the joke here? He's just saying, I don't like this plane because it has dogs. And wouldn't it be even worse if it had a chicken and you can see a chicken in the shot? Mm -hmm. That's the joke. Yes, I guess. The hijackers finally notice the wolf man at the back of the plane. And when they sneak up to investigate, Tony attacks them. We cut back to football practice, and apparently Tony didn't miss the big game, but he keeps getting tackled all through practice because he's hearing an imaginary violin play. After practice, Jane finds him sitting under the bleachers and runs up to sit in his lap. He tries to get away from her, but she keeps latching onto him. That night, Tony transforms into a wolf and attacks a fellow student. The next morning, he wakes up naked in a park, not unlike the titular werewolf from an American werewolf in London earlier this season. We see a bandage applied to a relatively harmless bite on a girl's naked butt, and then we see a headline on the school newspaper, Werewolf Annoys Community. So, right now, at this point, I'm, I'm thinking of what the big twist of this movie is going to be. Yeah. And I'm playing it over in my head, and I'm thinking, okay, because something else happens that I didn't see coming. Um, but I thought for sure what was going to happen is the big reveal at the end of this movie is everyone in town's a werewolf. Oh, okay. Because he had bitten everybody in town. Oh, that makes sense. But nothing comes of, of him Because that's what's supposed to happen. When you yeah. get bit by a werewolf and survive, you're supposed to become a werewolf. That would make sense. But, uh, but uh, th- yeah, that would also make sense because it's the high school is not just named Full Moon High. The town itself is called Full Moon. Right. So, because it's, yeah, they say it's like full moon police and all this stuff. So it would make more sense if literally everyone in that town were a werewolf. It would make sense if they were already werewolves before the movie started. <laughs> yeah. I can't remember which one of the howling movies it is, but there's a town called Flow. Yeah, which is wolf backwards. Exactly. Very clever. <laughs> you don't sound that impressed. <laughs> oh, no, I'm so impressed. <laughs> she had to look into a mirror to see it in the movie. She's, she's a genius. It's <laughs> just like, oh, now I see. I'm a super genius. She was like halfway through watching the movie uh, Troll. <laughs> and she was like, wait a minute. I wonder what happens with our town. Was that Troll that had Nilbog? Or was that Troll 2? Nilbog! It's Godless spelled backwards! Um, I just remember that the main character's name is Harry Potter. Yeah. And that he's played by Atreyu, right? Yeah, I think so. The next night, the moon is still full, and he transforms again to attack another girl who gets another bandage on another naked butt, and another headline. Playful nippings continue. Police fail to muzzle monster. Citizens moving away in wave of terror. The moon is full for a third night, and Tony attacks three students this time. The third one is a bearded man, but still screams with the voice of a female student. In class the next day, the coach is teaching sex ed. An air raid siren blares out over the campus, and the students duck and cover under their desks in a futile effort to survive a nuclear blast. Oh, all right, that's better. That's very good. That's excellent, class. In case of an attack with an atomic bomb, this class would darn well survive. Jane sneaks up to Tony's desk and asks to see one of those squiggly things with the tail, (laughs) implying sperm. And he says, I don't have any on me at the moment. She's like, I find that hard to believe. (laughs) That, this was another chuckle. She she, d- because the way she says it, I find that really hard to believe. <laughs> she demands Tony take her to the sock hop, and again, his buddy Jack Flynn tries to ask in Tony's place. At home, Tony's dad puts out a bowl of Alpo dog food, and Tony steals it from his own dog. McMahon was a longtime Alpo spokesperson, and the scene plays out as a sort of parody to a Tonight Show blooper where McMahon was trying to sell dog food, but the dog kept wandering off set, so Johnny Carson wandered into frame pretending to be the dog and eating out of the bowl on the ground. Well, Hernandez is a little, little, uh, yes, please. Come right, yes, please. 
Hernan nice Hernandez. <laughs> Alpha. The next time you find yourself <laughs> looking at the grand dogs, yes, nice Hernandez. Tony's father finally notices that his behavior has gotten worse and he's doing poorly in school. Tony retreats to his room and begins to transform when yet another full moon rises in the sky. It will basically stay a full moon for the remainder of the film, which well, literally spans decades. So this was going to be my question. Does he remain a wolf just all the time that he's in? At, it is night in full moon because yes. the town is full moon. So maybe it's always a full moon. But there's only one night in the film that is depicted as not being a full moon. There is. Yeah. It's when he goes on the date with Ricky later. But other than that, every single night seems to be a full moon for the entire film. Right. Which they might be 28 days apart every time. I don't know. Tony's father follows him to his room to berate him for growling. Tony chases his dad downstairs and dad grabs one of his guns. Next, Tony chases him into their bomb shelter. Once he's locked himself safely inside, Tony scratches at the door but can't get in. Inside, his father talks to a photograph of Senator Joe McCarthy and laments that his son has become a communist. This scene is said to take place in 1959, two years after McCarthy's death. Ah, uh, Joe. Why didn't they listen to you back then when they had a chance? He sneaks a peek out of a porthole, but the werewolf is still there growling, and he absentmindedly fires a shot at it. The bullet bounces around the bomb shelter for a while, ricocheting off the concrete and metal walls, and we hard cut to a casket <laughs> draped in the American flag, and Tony's father has apparently shot himself by mistake to death. <laughs> this was such a fun edit. I really like, he's just like listening and trying to dodge as you can hear a bullet, yeah. and it just cuts right to this, this giant coffin. unexpected. Yeah. The priest officiating the funeral is repeatedly frightened by a three-gun salute. The first round of shots kill a bird in the sky, which lands on the coffin. Somebody will please remove the hawk or blackbird from the coffin, please. The priest asks them to stop shooting, and they accidentally shoot again immediately. One of them shoots directly at the coffin, even. Tony admits to his high school friend Jack Flynn that he's dropping out of school now, and Flynn is furious because it will cost them the big game. Uh, the priest at one point stuffs like tissue in his ears for earplugs. Yeah. But what he realizes is that he can't even hear himself when yeah. he's trying to. He takes them out and he tries to toss them to a woman in the front row as if she's supposed to catch them, but she makes absolutely no <laughs> attempt to catch so them. So they just hit her and fall down. Yeah. Another round of gunshots bring a full tree branch down on the coffin. We are oh! Oh! Amen. Tony hops on a bus out of town and Jane chases it down on foot, hanging out of the window to talk to him. Uh, I got very excited because I knew exactly where this was. Yeah. Uh, it, uh, it's, it's, it's just a small side road that uh, parallels some high tension lines in the valley. Yeah. But I've been on it enough times ago. I was like, I know where this is. And it took me a minute to think of it, but uh, I found the exact location. It's really close to the school that they're using for the movie, too. Mm -hmm. Eventually, Jane loses her grip on the bus and can't keep up with it while Tony leaves town. That night, during another full moon, Tony transforms and hijacks the bus, ditching all the Greyhound passengers and driver on the side of the road. Evidently, the driver will have to pay the full $86,000 to replace the bus for losing it. We see time passing in the form of a screen full of assorted clocks all chiming. Then we see a framed photo of Eisenhower replaced with Kennedy. Who is replacing these? <laughs> is, is this just like a random house somewhere in America? Because his dad's dead and yeah. he's not staying in the same place. So well, who's 
photos are these being replaced? This is supposed to be from the bomb shelter, right? I thought, but it was Joe McCarthy. Why did it? Oh, why okay, is it yeah, suddenly yeah. Eisenhower? I don't. I don't think it has anything to do with their original house. So this is literally just a third party's house that has. I think it's just supposed to express the passage of time the same way a clock does. I, don't I just I think it's funny how how much the movie relies on photographs of historical figures because we started with Stalin and then we had Joseph McCarthy and then we had Eisenhower and it's like why do we keep showing this to tell time? Why can't you just have a calendar on a wall? You have to have a person's face every time. We see Tony standing in front of the Empire State Building and then we see New York News headline. Harry Fiend bothers New Yorkers. Wolfman chews out mugger. Mayor chews out police. Kennedy's photo is replaced with LBJ. And Big Ben strikes 6.30. I guess in the afternoon? I. It looks like midnight, but the hour hand is on the 6. Mm-hmm. And the minute hand is on the 6. So are we saying that you have to die from these bites in order to become a werewolf? I don't think so. I mean, in an American werewolf in London, the guy who died came back as a ghost. And the guy who didn't die came back as a werewolf. Yeah, I know. But, like, why are there not werewolves all over New York now? There should be. The London Express headline reads, Jack the Nipper, still at large, Australian tourist bitten down under. Johnson is replaced with Nixon. We see a young Asian woman spin around and scream into camera. And then the Hong Kong Express headline reads, Wolfman eats Chinese, 30 minutes later, hungry again. This newspaper prop is so half-assed that instead of fixing a typo in the headline, they just covered up an extra letter with a white rectangle of paper that they glued to the face of it. But also, I don't get this joke. <laughs> it's a it's a joke about Chinese food. But I don't think that that... I mean, maybe this is true in 1981, but I don't think that Chinese food places are notorious for leaving you hungry. No, I think... They satisfy you, but then it's all empty calories and you immediately want to eat more food after. I don't know. That that has been the long-running joke and it has always made sense to me, but I would always say that about every other place that serves food. I've never eaten a meal and not been hungry an hour later. But you're saying that you've heard that joke in relationship yes. to Chinese food before. Yes, yes. that's a very popular yeah. joke. Oh, I've yeah. never heard this before. Okay. Yeah. Also, why is the Hong Kong Express published in English? <laughs> that's weird. <laughs> Someone throws a rock at the framed photo of Nixon and then replaces it with Gerald Ford, but then drops the picture off the wall because he, 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 fell, fell, down, he yeah. fell down lots. But also, Hong Kong wasn't part of China in 1981, was it? Uh, I don't think this was put together by uh, <laughs> the proper ambassadors to Hong Kong. Next, we see a Carter picture hanging on a wall and another copy of the school newspaper with the headline, Full Moon Humiliated Again by Simpson, Beaten for the 25th Straight Time. And then we cut forward another year, I guess, randomly, and it says, Full Moon Fails to Score Single Touchdown Against Simpson for the 26th Year. It's like, why did we skip one year there at the end all of a sudden? Because just to let you know, we're slowing down. Maybe maybe it was the 25th year, and then the movie took another year to come out from what they expected. And so they were like, oh, let's just shoot another insert where it says 26th, even though no one's counting. The text of the article reads like so. Future plans will, of necessity, have great bearing in the situation as it now stands. Decisions will have to be made of the actual planning of the project. will take considerable time, but it is felt that these steps are very important. Thus, at this conference, all our governments found themselves in unanimous agreement regarding this undertaking. Arrangements for dealing with questions and disputes between the republics or further improved. That sounds familiar. Yeah, <laughs> this is the same placeholder text of every article. 
So do. <laughs> Have you ever seen that Always Sunny bit where uh, he's running for office and Charlie writes the script for him um, to read for his campaign video, but it doesn't make any sense because Charlie can't read. <laughs> so he's like, all right, I'm just going to read it exactly how it is on the page. And he just reads it and it doesn't, none of the words make sense in order. It's very funny. The Carter photo is knocked to the ground and replaced with a photo of Shirley Chisholm, representative at the time of New York's 12th district in the House of Representatives, a potential heir to the presidency, according to director Larry Cohen. But apparently this joke was written and shot before Reagan's election almost a year earlier. It seems like plenty of time to reshoot this insert, but who knows? I don't know why they put this joke in here when it came out way after Reagan had taken office. We see Tony wandering a city at night and then taking a bus back to Full Moon High School. The school is covered in graffiti now, and Tony notices that the school has maintained their rivalry with Simpson, so there's still time to beat them. As Tony walks onto campus, a girl notices him right away, and the coach even sees him through binoculars from his office window. The coach chains up his binoculars to his desk and listens to a complaint from a young teacher, Miss Montgomery, who says her students are flogging her in class. He looks through her file and sees that she's quit the last six schools she taught at because her students abused her. It seems like now he's the principal of the school, even though up to now he has been the coach. Mm -hmm. But uh, now he has an office and he's in charge of teacher stuff. He basically tells Miss Montgomery to tough it out and grow up a little. She walks down the hall for a stretch but is scared into the ladies' room where she's quickly surrounded by smoking students who breathe marijuana smoke in her face. What's that smell? Back out in the hall, she bumps into Tony. To explain his youth, Tony claims to be his own son and tells Miss Montgomery that she is nice and pretty. The other students also find Tony cute. You're really a fox, you know. Not exactly, but you're close. Tony heads back to the mansion he grew up in to sweep the place. Jack Flynn, now a detective, stops by the house, suspecting that whoever's here is trespassing, and is shocked to find a doppelganger for his high school bestie, Tony. Flynn tells Tony Jr. that when his father was still on the football team, that they could have beat Simpson, but it hasn't happened since he left. Flynn invites Tony over for dinner sometime, and insists that his wife Jane would love to meet him, considering her feelings for his father. Jack and Jane's son, Edward, tells them how great Tony Jr. was at football today. Edward is a cheerleader and an admirer of Tony Jr.'s physique, but thankfully he's not played as a horrendous gay stereotype like I was expecting. He's just a character who happens to be gay, and we haven't seen a lot of that outside of maybe Knight Riders in the 80s to be a respectful gay character. I guess uh, uh, Zorro the Gay, gay Blade, Blade, yeah. yeah. Jane makes it clear that she wants to see Tony Jr. Why, but for a twist of fate, that boy might have been my own son. You mean my brother? No, sir, Lee would never have been born. That would have been nice. <laughs> I like that line. <laughs> Jack asks Jane if she slept with anyone before him, and she says no, so they make out on the couch. We cut to probably Hollywood Forever Cemetery, where Tony visits his actual father's grave. This is where I got the year 1959 from before, because we could see the year right. his father died on the tombstone. He apologizes to his father for not having accomplished anything during the years he was gone. Suddenly, his father's hand bursts out of the grass and grabs hold of him, but he manages to wrestle himself away. That's the end of the joke about Ed McMahon being a zombie in this film. Yeah. We never see any more of this hand than this one scene. I don't understand this. What is happening? His dad was a zombie just by coincidence. The hand flips him off when he's walking away. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
We see a crowded school dance for a while, and then we cut to a locker room where a couple of students are splitting up a brick of marijuana. <laughs> I don't know why it was sold to them in this way. When they see a werewolf in the locker room, they run back to the dance and try to pantomime what they saw to other students on the dance floor who mistake the werewolf gestures for a new dance. Werewolf bar mitzvah, spooky, <laughs> scary, boys becoming men, men becoming wolves. See, I was thinking... This is the year before Thriller comes yeah, out. I like. I want to be convinced that this was the inspiration yeah, for it Thriller. Could have been. It could very easily have been. <laughs> Soon, everyone is doing the werewolf dance. Downstairs, werewolf Tony unplugs some of the lights for the party, but we can still see little lights bouncing off the disco ball all over the dance floor, and the music's still playing. It's like he unplugged half of the power to this room. Eventually, they notice the werewolf among them, and everyone runs screaming from the dance. Outside, we see someone in a gorilla costume get tackled by a pack of police officers, but they realize mid-arrest that this is an ape, not a wolf. When the person takes off their mask, we see it's Edward, who dressed like an ape to get attention at the dance. Weirdly, his father and all the other cops agree that that's a great idea, and they can't believe they didn't think of it when they were kids. <laughs> it's just like, oh, it's actually real smart. <laughs> I wish I'd thought of that. The werewolf gets into a cab, but the driver is also the bus driver and kicks him out before he can steal another vehicle. The next morning, Tony, in torn clothing, stumbles into his dilapidated family home and complains about how badly he's doing in school. In the stands on the football field, Tony meets a girl named Ricky and trusts her implicitly. He tries to share his problems with her when they're interrupted by Jane. She is somehow the only person who realizes that he's lying. She recognizes the scar under one of his eyes, which implies that he is not his own son, but himself. She goes further to explain that she knows he's a werewolf, and she blackmails him for dinner so they can discuss immortality tonight. Later, we see Tony driving with Ricky, who is suddenly his girlfriend. He asks her to come by his house before dark for an important task. When she arrives, he drags her upstairs to his bedroom, where he has cameras and lighting set up pointed at the bed. He gets a light reading and asks her to strap him to the bed and start the cameras and run. She thinks he's just being kinky, but she's totally into it and straps him in as tightly as she can. Once he's tied down, she starts whipping him with a belt. She jumps on top of him and doesn't climb off until he starts to transform. He tears himself free of the straps and she knees him in the balls before running away. Wolfman's got nards. <laughs> she continues to fight back, punching him down the stairs and then chasing him around the house with a knife. He races to the shower and we get a recreation of the scene from Psycho as she stabs through the shower curtain and he tears the curtain off the rod. Do you guys recall our last recreation of the Psycho shower kill? Student bodies? No. No? Uh, it was some parody movie though. Obviously. Yes. No. It was a girl taking a shower and a guy who snuck in oh, and tried to attack her. Oh, and it ended her. up being her boyfriend. No. No. I'm thinking of a different one. He had a pen instead of a knife, and he said he just wanted her autograph when she started screaming, and he ran away. Was it Fade to Black? It was Fade to Black. Are you sure we haven't had one since then? I don't think so. Hmm. Definitely not in the movies you guys mentioned, at okay. least. Eventually, she gets the werewolf to surrender on the couch in the living room, where she gives the werewolf a little foot massage. Later, he goes out to dinner with Jane. Jack watches them eat together from the restaurant entrance, and Tony starts scratching his neck when Jane realizes that he has fleas. She tells him it's nothing they can't fix with a bath and a flea collar. She asks if she's too old for him now. Oh, I don't know. Did you ever see that movie Harold and Maud? Yeah, I saw that movie Harold and Maud, and I really don't want to talk about it. The violinist starts playing by their table, and Tony is annoyed by it. I think this joke made sense the first time, but 
all the other places we see this violinist are places that a violinist might be and it's not yeah. it doesn't get funnier when you put it more and more in a believable context suddenly ricky is here discreetly watching the dinner as well but tony's never remotely in trouble for cheating or anything she never like confronts him about having dinner with another woman she doesn't seem to care at all jane warns him his food will get cold but he says he's waiting for it to get body temperature aren't bodies typically warm am i mistaken aren't bodies 98.6 degrees isn't that a thing yeah and i wouldn't imagine that his food is coming out you know scalding hot yeah it's not gonna be that hot tony stands up disgusted when he realizes his silverware is actual silver and it's making him nauseous he tries to leave and leans on a silver serving tray and then knocks over a waiter on his way out later we see him driving with ricky at night but not during a full moon we specifically see the moon is not full she asks how many people he's killed and he says he only bites he never kills she asks if they can have sex just once as humans they make out in the woods and take turns scratching each other and slapping bugs on each other's skin jack stops by a silversmith shop run by pat marita and asks for a box of silver bullets the salesman recommends a bunch of artistic flourishes mistaking the order for a gift no no, no nothing gaudy uh, this is not, not gonna be worn on the outside it, it's uh, it's going uh, uh, inside yeah inside <laughs> like what is what is this guy imagining is happening unless he's literally talking about shooting someone which is what mm -hmm. he means like what what else could that possibly mean that marita is misunderstanding we cut to the home of miss montgomery who's here with another 40 something year old man playing a student leonard she hears an intruder in the home and tells leonard that they may be in danger leonard fears it's his father and jumps out the window to escape his wrath she calls the police to report the intruder and gets put on hold for a bit and then transferred to an answering machine message. This is your full moon police department. We're not in right now, but if you leave your message when you hear the beep, we'll try to get right back to you. Do you guys recall the last time someone called the police and got put on hold and then left a message on an answering machine? Don't answer the phone. No. <laughs> they left a, a message on the machine for the police? Yeah. Because the police were not in. They were like, you have reached the police. We are closed. Or is it Hell Night? No. Was it the Howling? Nope. I don't know. Student bodies. Ah, <laughs> shoot. She calls the police from the phone on the principal's desk. I, I, I'm in terrible danger and, and, and I need some help. I, I need... have reached the police. We are closed. Just as the answering machine goes beep, the werewolf attacks. In another session of the school's sex ed program, they're stringing up a film for the class, but Tony substitutes the film that he shot with Ricky. Ricky tells him not to play the footage yet because they might not let him play football, but he informs her that he quote-unquote went all the way with Miss Montgomery last night and that he can't wait any longer to share who he is or more people might die. Now, this could mean three things. It could mean that he had sex with her, because he mentioned on their date that he hadn't had sex in 21 years. It could mean that he killed her, but we'll mm -hmm. find out it means neither of those things. Because I, I would have assumed it meant, in this context, I would assume it meant that he made her a werewolf. Well, that is what he means. No, I know, but yeah. that's what I took from this scene the first time I watched it. In this context, I misunderstood it as that he killed her. That's what I thought he was telling her. 
And that's why he it was suddenly an emergency that he straightened his life out because he finally killed someone when the night before he said he hadn't killed but anybody. I, honestly, I feel like that might also be true because it seems like biting people, it does not make them worse. Right. And there, so, there, yeah. There's some kind of a thing that you have to do beyond just a simple bite to actually transform someone. And he did whatever that is with Miss okay. Montgomery. Maybe it's playing a violin. <laughs> Maybe. Just before the film starts, Detective Jack Flynn shows up and Tony urges him to sit down and watch the film. When he tries to leave, Tony shoves him back down and growls at him. The detective turns to another officer to ask if that growl just happened or if he imagined it. Did he go The film starts and the class hoots and hollers when they see Tony strapped to a bed getting whipped by Ricky. Even the police are excited to be watching porn on campus. Looks like a porno film. What a school. <laughs> That older cop with the mustache is just smiling like, I'm watching porn with a bunch of kids. This is great. (laughs) Suddenly, the laughs turn into screams as Tony's transformation begins in the film. The police collect the film as evidence, but Ricky asks for a copy for her reel. Jack promises Tony that he won't be put to sleep for his crimes because the ASPCA wouldn't let them. He'll also contact America's best abnormal psychiatrist, Dr. Jacob Brand. We cut suddenly to a suicidal man on the edge of a building arguing with a firefighter trying to talk him down. Suddenly, Dr. Brand shows up and he's played by Tony actor Adam Arkin's actual father, Alan Arkin. He employs a technique we've seen twice before wherein a jumper is told to simply jump and save everyone the trouble of trying to talk him down. Hey you! Drop dead! Drop 43 stories dead! Take a long walk on a short pier! What pier? He belongs to the Ridicule and Insult School of Psychiatry. He shames him down. Do you guys recall the last time we saw a negotiator tell a jumper to jump? Ugh, I've been trying, I've been racking my brain to try to come up with this. And I'm remembering the rooftop scene and the guy is there and he's nagging the person off the roof and it's a woman, I think, that's going to jump. And One of the times it was a woman and one of the times it was a man. And I think he's going, like he gets called away after this to go meet the woman in the the main woman of the film to help solve murders or whatever the hell's happening. That's what I remember, but I don't remember what movie it was. <laughs> Any ideas, Richard? Uh, I know the other one. What's the other one? Uh, Dirty Harry. Dirty Harry was more recent. Okay. I just like your name and address, that's all. Why? Well, like I said, it's such a mess down there afterwards, and it makes identification impossible. Even if they find your driver's license, all that blood and everything... When he goes up and he's like, why don't you just give me your wallet or whatever and then jump because it's easier to identify well, you. Well, Dirty Harry, yeah. wasn't that a Patreon one? It was a Patreon. But it, so not chronologically more Chronologically recent. more recent is the movie you're talking yeah, about. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I started going through all the movies that I'm that had a man and a woman trying to solve something and I'm just like, don't answer the phone. Yes, Phobia. stop. Oh, stop. Okay. <laughs> don't answer the phone is okay. the correct answer. <laughs> told him what I was going to do and he just laughed. He said, go ahead and do it. What do you want, attention? Now, come on, forget it. You'll be a four-line blurb on page 20. The fireman is so offended by the doctor's bullying that he tries to strangle the man, and then the jumper comes to the doctor's defense. In the ensuing struggle, the jumper and fireman both fall off the building to their deaths. Jesus, what a couple of jerks. They didn't even try to fly. <laughs> so are like, these guys dead? Yeah, they oh, yeah. died. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> For sure. What? Sometime later, Dr. Brand is led to Tony's jail cell. Brand tells Tony that turning into a werewolf isn't impressive and that a wolf turning into a man would be more impressive. The violin starts up again. 
Do you Doc- remember the last time we had a wolf turn into a man? No. no <laughs> Earlier in this film, right? <laughs> whatever, yeah, whatever he turns back. Fair enough. <laughs> Dr. Brand asks a prison guard to collect a mirror from downstairs and then hands Tony a contract to sign offering his body to medical science in the event of his death. Tony starts to transform, so Dr. Brand enters the cell with a sedative. A werewolf hand grabs Dr. Brand by the throat. Shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him, Jesus, the camera. A wolf man in the cell and he shoots the camera. Did he get the cameraman too? Vilma, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Vilma, are you okay? That's so funny to me. Uh, obviously, this is a reference to Hungarian-American cinematographer Vilmos Sigmund. I meant to look up if he had worked with Alan Arkin on anything, but he's just a famous DP. Yeah. it's That's great. The screen is shattered by the bullets, and at first we hear a lot of this talking over black. The best scene, the best special effects, and they're missing it because he shot the camera. You idiot! Can't you tell a wolfman from a Panavision? When the picture comes back, the wolfman has escaped to play in the big game. And we get a second appearance of Bob Saget now as an adult sportscaster commentating on the game. I can't believe it. This is not exciting to me. The Simpson team is firing for me. Dr. Brand watches the game from the sidelines and more violin music plays. Tony finally shows up to the game in his full uniform and everyone screams and falls over before he's even got the ball. He's able to run across the field and score a touchdown with absolutely no interference from anyone. There's five minutes left in the fourth quarter, and Full Moon High has just put up six points against Simpsons 42, which I guess is enough to end the curse of flawless victories. They only needed to score. They didn't need to win yeah. the game. But I guess he miss, missed the extra point? Well, he didn't even try for it yet. And there's only five minutes left. Not enough time. <laughs> what? <laughs> the police and students and faculty all race across the field toward him as Tony eats the football for some reason. <laughs> Tony is shot repeatedly by various police officers, but none of them have silver bullets except for Jack, and he holds his fire. Ricky talks Jack into throwing his gun down, but Dr. Brand picks it up and shoots Tony twice. Then, with a curious look on his face, Dr. Brand takes a couple more shots, and then another awkward face and a couple more shots. It's very funny for some reason. This is the funniest we've seen Alan Arkin in anything so far on this podcast, and it's like a side role in his son's movie. It's very weird. The werewolf is still up and moving around, and he lifts the psychiatrist into the air. Put me down! Ah! You big lobo, I said put me down, not throw me down. We see the psychiatrist open his hand, and inside there is a peanut, implying something, I'm sure. Yeah. What? Why is there a peanut in his hand? I just assumed I had missed some joke here. The... I don't understand. There's like they zoom in close, like it's a fucking rosebud moment, and he's got a peanut in his hand. Maybe it's it's because he is a nut. I don't get it. Tony collapses on the field, and Jane urges everyone to sing the Full Moon High anthem. Jack sings a few lines of what sounds a lot like a Full Moon High anthem until she slaps him and tells him to sing a different song. He sings the same lyrics to a different tune as Tony dies on the field and turns back into a human. The coach eulogizes their star player. Oh, Tony Walker, you were a great ball player and a pretty fair wolf man. And Full Moon High will probably never forget you, but we're going to give it a hell of a shot, kid. Jane can't stop sneezing because it turns out she's allergic to the wolf man. Suddenly, Tony rises from the grave and looks directly into camera. Oh, don't worry about me, folks. Nowadays, with inflation, it takes at least eight silver bullets to kill a werewolf. It's Montgomery. In 2022, that's the equivalent of 25.76 silver bullets. 
Tony wanders out into the woods to find werewolf Miss Montgomery, and they howl together, and then we cut to a painting of Tony, Miss Montgomery, and their six children, one of whom has a regular human face, but the rest are all werewolves. Well, I wouldn't say it's a regular human yeah. face. It almost, Is it supposed it, to look like Ed McMahon? Oh, I think it looks exactly like Alan Arkin, but, you know. <laughs> it, it looks to me like, uh, to me it looks like, what, what's the Monster Club monster you don't want to whistle? Oh, the... The Humgu? Humgu? No, no. Humgu? No. The Humgus were like the zombie types in the last mm. story. Um, a Shadmok? Shadmok, Shadmok yeah. You don't want the Shadmok to whistle. He had a very Shadmok face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got a Shadmok face. That's Full Moon High, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I, I, know, I know I laughed a lot. I did too, honestly. But... No, 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 I laughed at your retelling of it. Yeah, yeah, because it's, exactly. it's a legitimately funny movie. We all agree. No, it's no. just, it's just no. stupid. It's so stupid that trying to relay that to anyone is amusing. It's, it's pretty fun though. I mean, it has a lot of fun stuff, and it's good. We all agree, it's a good movie. No, it's a thumbs up though, right? We're, we're all saying thumbs down. Th- thumbs up for thumbs me. Honest, honest, this actually is a thumbs up for me. Is it? Really? Yeah. You're not just... Okay. <laughs> no, I'm serious. I, w- I would recommend right. this to people. I th- I think it's worth it for just the Alan Arkin bits, honestly. That's the o- that is the only reason. He's really funny movie. here. And, yeah. and it's such a relief because I was starting to think I was crazy for liking Alan Arkin so much because everything we've seen so far has just been awful. And this is the first time where his performance was flawless in the movie. Everything he did was right. They used the correct take of everything that he did, and it was wonderful. And, and I, I cracked up every single line that he had. It's a thumbs down from me. All right. That's fine. I, I I will admit that I chuckled a couple of times throughout the whole movie, but overall it was just a slog. A slog, yeah. Especially the dance scene. It was like like two or three minutes of just showing the dance floor. Yeah. And the it was movie like it was long. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of filler stuff. And uh I do feel like I don't understand the point of the time travel aspect of the story yeah it doesn't serve a purpose he could easily have just been gone for a couple days yeah and then there could have been another game like i think the point was that he needed to be able to do the same game again so they had to bring him back that's what that's what's so weird is that the the first game that he missed like he just decided not he to play yeah he didn't like, have randomly. to miss it <laughs> like yeah why couldn't it have been that he was in romania with his dad and got attacked and mm-hmm. was in the hospital during the game like they even like have the point where his dad says don't worry son you'll be back in time for the big game so that we think he's not going to be back in time for the big game Mm -hmm. but then he is back in time for the big game and he just decides he's not going to do it and then suddenly it's very important to him that he does it later it's like why do you suddenly care you didn't care when the big game happened why do you care now what changed well what changed was he realized that that's part of the prophecy that he needed to return to complete this unfinished business as if that was going to cure him. What what part of the prophecy implied that he needed to go back to high school and win a football game? Well, it, it I, I don't, because I don't have the, the exact word yeah. of the prophecy, but it was something, he, he repeats it later on about having some kind of unfinished business. Okay. And he just assumes that it means the Simpson game. Yeah. All right. But it doesn't cure him. 
Like it doesn't. It doesn't. No, he's still a werewolf at the end of the movie. But and that, also, that's he's not playing by the rules of the game. Like, yeah, there's too many men on the field, and one of them is maybe maybe not, it doesn't count because he's not a man. Oh, I didn't. <laughs> this even is think like Air Bud rules. There's here. nothing in the rule book that says a werewolf can't play football. <laughs> that's a clone high reference for for any of you out there. <laughs> there's nothing in the rule book that says a giraffe can't play football. <laughs> you try that one more time and just sort of lean into the emotion of the scene. <laughs> I have your baby and me, giraffe. <laughs> what the fuck? Ah, <laughs> uh, that was Abe's short film for yeah. the <laughs> for the film festival. No. <laughs> John loves him. They're still working on that. Yeah, reboot? they're supposed to be, unless HBO Max canceled it they again. They probably did because Warner Brothers Fuckers. pulled the plug on everything. Discovery was like, "I got a Discovery. We're fucking stupid." <laughs> 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 anyway, Clone High is a great show. Tune in Full next week for the high, next episode. Not so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> of all the high shows that we're talking about. Yeah. Um. Letterbox. What do you think of Jessica? Oh, it's pretty low. I did not enjoy this one very much. Like I said, the only the only thing worth watching this movie is Alan Arkin. Yeah, and he was amusing. Are you okay, Vilmos? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I put this. Uh, I think where it belongs. I have it at one thirty one out of one. How many? One thirty eight. Uh, it is below Choo Choo and the Chili Swing Flash. What the hell is the name of that movie? Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. Also starring? All, yeah. Alan Arkin. Yeah, exactly. And, and Adam Arkin. And, is Adam uh, Arkin? In, oh, yeah, he is. Yeah. He's like the crazy guy so that they let out of the asylum. This is right where their movies belong. And then- uh, And the brothers are in there, too. Uh, I didn't mention yeah. it, but when when the psychiatrist starts shooting at the werewolf- uh, you, we cut to a young kid on the sidelines that says, I'm never going to see a psychiatrist again or something like that. And that's Anthony Arkin, who is mm. the youngest son um, of Mr. Alan Arkin. And then the other brothers in there somewhere, too, I think. Yeah. Because they seem to be a package deal. Yeah. Well, there you go. Because they're in, all of them are in both of those movies. Yeah, exactly. And then it's above So Fine. So Fine. Okay. That's fair. Uh, I have it at 129. Uh, which puts it below just a gigolo, but above Smokey Bites the Dust. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> that, that sounds accurate to me. Um, I have it in 106. Uh, that's just under Enter the Ninja and just above the Unseen. Our writer-director here was Larry Cohen. He previously directed Bone, Black Caesar, and God Told Me To. After this, he directs Cue the Winged Serpent and The Stuff. He also wrote A Rat Patrol, some Columbos, the American Success Company, and later Uncle Sam, Phone Booth, and Cellular. Well, some of those are pretty good. Yeah. Uncle Sam is the one that I always thought was related to Jack Frost, but yeah. was not because they both had those holograph VHS covers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but Phone Booth and Cellular sounds like those are definitely from the same person. <laughs> uh, the music here was from Gary William Friedman. He has composer credits on 389 episodes of The Electric Company, but not much else I recognized. Cinematographer here was Daniel Pearl. His first credit was as the DP on Toby Hooper's Texas Chainsaw Massacre. We've seen his work so far in Minnesota reviews of Getting Wasted and The Return. Later, he lights Zapped, lots of music videos, 
the Texas Chainsaw Massacre reboot, the 2009 Friday the 13th reboot, and more recently, Nicolas Cage vehicle Mom and Dad, and the video for Nicki Minaj's Super Freaky Girl last year. Editor Armand Leibowitz. He's a regular Cohen editor who comes back next for Cue the Winged Serpent and later The Stuff, and A Return to Salem's Lot and The Ambulance. All Larry Cohen productions. Adam Arkin played Tony. We've seen him so far in MacGyver episode The Silent Killer, and this season in Under the Rainbow and Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. He's the son of actor Alan Arkin. This was his first and possibly last lead role. I think he also wrote Improper Channels, or didn't one of the sons write Improper Channels, which his father starred in? Sounds right. I didn't have it in my notes here, but I think that's the case. Adam Arkin wrote this screenplay. Yeah, okay. Roz Kelly played Jane. We saw her last as Diane Blaze Sullivan in New Year's Evil last season. She played Flaps in Curse of the Black Widow, but is probably best known for her portrayal of demolition derby driver and eventual Fonzie girlfriend Pinky Tuscadero on Happy Days. As is required of every Happy Days character, hers was given a sort of spin-off, though weirdly taking place in the present without Pinky aging. So again, like this movie, just fast-forwarding yep. time but not aging a day. And it was called Blanksy's Beauties, and it only lasted a season. On November 29th of 1998, Kelly was arrested for firing a 12-gauge shotgun into the living room window of a neighbor's house after a car alarm woke her up. The neighbor was not home at the time. On October 27th, 2000, she was sentenced to 120 days in jail after pleading no contest to charges stemming from an August 20th, 2000 arrest for hitting a man with her cane. She also appeared as a plaintiff in a 1996 episode of Judge Judy to sue her plastic surgeon for a leaky breast implant. That's Roz Kelly for you. Ed McMahon played Dad, Colonel William P. Walker. Obviously, he was Johnny Carson's sidekick on The Tonight Show. He plays himself in a lot of stuff, and he might be best known as a spokesperson for Publishers Clearinghouse, who sent out nationwide mailers tricking people into thinking they had checks for millions of dollars coming to their front door. Um... He's also the reason I say hi a lot, probably. Yeah. It's probably his fault. Joanne Nail played Ricky. She played Jugs on the Mother Jugs and Speed TV series. She was also Barbara Collins, the paralyzed mother from The Visitor last season. And now I want to watch Mother Jugs and Speed because she was cute in this. Bill Kirkenbauer played Flynn. He was Wino Willie in Gorp. He was Captain Jolene in Airplane. He was also Coach Graham T. Lubbock in 48 episodes of Just the Ten of Us, whatever that is. Elizabeth Hartman played Miss Montgomery. She was Edwina in The Beguiled, Pauline in Walking Tall, and she's the voice of Mrs. Brisby in The Secret of Nim. Yeah, I recognize her voice right away. Oh, really? Demond Wilson played Cabby Bus Driver. He is the titular son in 135 episodes of Sanford and Son. Jim J. Bullock played Eddie. He was Prince Valium in Spaceballs. He's probably best known as Monroe Ficus in 118 episodes of Too Close for Comfort, or maybe for Prince Valium, probably, actually. James Dixon played Deputy Jack. Yeah. So the deputy's name is Jack and the detective's name is Jack? I believe so. Because they call him Flynn sometimes and they call him Jack sometimes. James Dixon also plays Lieutenant Murray in Cue the Winged Serpent, a postman in The Stuff, and Lieutenant Perkins in all three films of the It's Alive trilogy. Kenneth Mars played the coach, and then later Principal Cleveland. 
Before this, he shows up in Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, What's Up Doc, and Young Frankenstein. He plays Stanton Boyd, father-in-law of Tim Matheson's Alan Stanwyck character in Fletch. He's also a prolific voice actor, including providing the voice of Triton in The Little Mermaid and Grandpa Longneck in Land Before Time. Uh, I was kind of hoping that we would come across a Kenneth Mars movie where he fights a vampire, since he's already done a Frankenstein and a werewolf. Oh, okay. We'll have to keep our eyes peeled for that. Alan Arkin played Dr. Brand. We've seen him so far in Catch-22, Simon, Improper Channels, and Choo Choo and the Philly Flash. He's also in Little Murders, Freebie and the Bean, Edward Scissorhands, Little Miss Sunshine, Argo, and most recently, Minions 2. Tom Aldridge played the Jailer. He was Sid Hoganson in Batteries Not Included and Mr. Gutman in What About Bob. Pat Morita played the Silversmith. We saw him last as Sam in When Time Ran Out, and he's probably best known for his appearance as Mr. Miyagi in the Karate Kid franchise for which he got an Academy Award nomination, I believe, but not a win. Tom Clancy played the priest. Not that Tom Clancy. <laughs> He's also an arranger and performer with a soundtrack credit for One-Eyed Riley on the Red Dead Redemption 2 soundtrack. Laureen Landon played Blondie. She was Testa in Airplane 2, actress in a Stuff commercial in The Stuff, and Teresa Mallory in Maniac Cop and Maniac Cop 2. She makes an uncredited appearance in Ryan Gosling film Drive, She's in 1313 Hercules Unbound and Samurai Cop 2 Deadly Vengeance. So she's done a 1313 movie? She's done a 1313 movie and she was in the sequel to Samurai Cop. <laughs> John Blythe Barrymore played a student, just an uh, anonymous student somewhere in the film. We just had him as Harold in Smokey Bites the Dust. He is distantly credited with inspiring Casper Kelly's Too Many Cooks, and he is the older brother of actress Drew Barrymore. Bob Saget played a sportscaster. He was the star of Full House and America's Funniest Home Videos. He has a memorable cameo as a coke addict in Half Baked. He also directed Norm Macdonald's best film, Dirty Work. And he, uh, he just passed away, uh, a little over a year ago, I guess now. Yeah. Um, Norm Macdonald and Bob Saget, all pretty close together. Um, and their other friend. Gilbert Gottfried. Gilbert Gottfried. So the, the three of them, gone too soon. Anthony Arkin played Youngster at Game. He's the brother of Adam and the son of Alan. Thomas Carter played High School Student. He's back as Orderly John in Whose Life Is It Anyway. Not many other credits I recognize, mostly TV directing credits, including a handful of St. Elsewhere's, Hill Street Blues, and then a few bigger features like Swing Kids, Metro, Save the Last Dance, and Coach Carter. And then he's back lately to do mostly TV work. Julius Harris played one of the hijackers. He was Scatter in Superfly, Mr. Gibbs in Cohen's Black Caesar, and Teehee in Live and Let Die. We saw him last as Fred the Chef in Gorp and Ambassador Longo in First Family. Later, he's credited as Gravedigger in Darkman. I think that's everything for Full Moon High. If you guys have any thoughts you'd like to share, we are Vintage Video Pod on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, and Letterboxd, where, as I've said before, you can find each of our full movie rankings for the year. We can also be found at VintageVideoPodcast.com. We also have a Discord. You can join the 24-7 movie chat and share your thoughts on episodes past, present, and future at VintageVideoPodcast.com slash Discord. And if you're listening on YouTube, don't forget to subscribe. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time when we'll be discussing The Prowler which IMDb describes like so. An unknown killer, clad in World War II U.S. Army fatigues, stalks a small New Jersey town bent on reliving a 35-year-old double murder by focusing on a group of college kids holding an annual graduation dance. We leave you now with the trailer for The Prowler. It was 1945, the night of the graduation dance. 
the war overseas had just ended. The terror at home Boy. was about to begin. Boy? Come on, kid, don't play hard to get. What about New Year's Eve? Well, that was different. I couldn't help myself. The Prowler. If he wants you, he'll get you. Tonight, the terror begins again. They never found out who did it. It had to be someone in town, someone who knew that she was called Rose. And Mark, that guy still might be around here. Oh, man, I don't believe this. You're talking about something that happened over 30 years ago. Whenever the time was right, he'd come back. Oh. The Prowler. If he wants you. He'll get you. your breath it starts all over again you may think you're safe but you're dead wrong the prowler coming soon <laughs> <laughs> 